um, excited this morning, um, just as we look forward um, and kind of look back at, at what God's been doing. And, and this morning is kind of an awesome time. I was just sitting here as I was, we were singing and praying and thinking about all that God has done and continues to do. Um, this morning, um, I, I'm not sure how long you've been with us, but if you've been with us for um, maybe six, seven years or so, um, then you're, you're going to know some of these names. But one of them will be Mark Lowe. Um, he'll be preaching this morning in Evansville, where he's been for some time since he left us. And I think about um, Jason Sherrill, who was here serving student minister, who now preaches here in Greene County. And I think about the fact that um, Greg Estes, who was once served as our student minister, is now preaching this morning in Haiti. And um, Jason Keltner, who's one of our own, is preaching this morning in Haiti. Mark Bonta was out preaching last week. And um, it's just an exciting time. Cade Fulkerson, who's one of our own, is preaching this morning at Macedonia. And so um, I'm not sure if you're aware of it or not, but God is continuing to raise up people and send them forth uh, from here to go and proclaim the gospel to this community, to other communities, and to the nations. And so um, it's just exciting and humbling as I see a part of it. And so um, this morning we're going to look, continue our study here in the book of Acts, and we're walking through Paul. Remember, he, he's called kind of this... This staff retreat, um, he's called those that were um, the Ephesian elders to come and um, from Ephesus, and they've come, and Paul's sharing with them as hard about what he wants them to do in his absence. And um, today is a pretty t- tenacious text um, because he tells them that there's, there's wolves coming. He says, guys, I want you to know there are wolves coming. And so I ask you this morning, what would you do if this morning you woke up to uh, whether you turn on the news or whether you flipped on your phone and you started searching headlines, but you heard that this morning um, that the government maybe fired up an alert on your phone, whatever it came through, um, that North Korea and a coalition of other forces have fired a bunch of nuclear warheads toward the inland coast of the United States. And the U.S. government says, listen, we're doing our best, but there's no way we're going to get them all. Some places are going to be hit. I want to ask, who would you call first? What would be your first response? Like, who would you think of first? Like, I need to call them. I need to get them prepared. I mean, what would you say? Like, what, what do you need to do? Would any of you here be like, man, I wish I'd have prepared more? Right? You're like, man, I wish I would have like maybe got more water or got this or that or I should have been more prepared. Paul is, in a sense, saying, listen, there's not a, 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 a physical nuclear bomb that's coming our way, but I want you guys to know that there's something coming that's going to come against the church to split it, to attack it, to tear it apart. And he says he calls them wolves. And so what's interesting is, is in light of that, what does Paul suggest the church should do? And, um, and so that's going to be our, our focus today of, well, Paul, there's wolves coming, so what can we do in light of that? How can we be prepared for the wolves that are coming. So let's get to the text this morning. He says there in uh, verse 25 of Acts 20, he says, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Paul says, listen, guys, I want you to know it, it's true. Um, I, I've been here. I've served among you for a period of time. But that time is coming. And, and so you can imagine uh, verses uh, 37 and 38 begin to share how the church will weep when Paul begins, to li- when he leaves them now. They're weeping. They're hugging. They realize they're, they're torn up. They're not going to see his face again. And um, it's almost as if maybe you might cue that 2001 Diamond Rio hit what? <clears throat> One more what? Some of you used to sing that to your special sweetie pie. Come on, act like you don't know it today, but I know you do, right? This song, One More Day, right? Many of you probably heard that song by Diamond Rio. But can you imagine that feeling of this spiritual father mentor thinking, man, he's getting ready to be gone. Man, if we just had one more time, we could hear Paul preach again. Maybe if we just hear one more message, we could hear him just be with him to pray. And, 
And what's so difficult about this is the fact that Paul's telling them again, guys, I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to be here for you. Uh, this, this is you. And so watch what happens here. He says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole gospel of God. So Paul says, listen, guys, I want you to know that I'm innocent of the blood of all. That indicates kind of this pure, this clean offering. Um, He's using some of that imagery and saying, listen, it's a pure, clean offering. He says, my my life is clean. It's pure in the sense that I have been faithful, right? What what are you saying, Paul? He says, listen, guys, for, right? He's kind of cluing you in. How is Paul innocent of the blood of all? He says, for I didn't shrink from declaring you the whole gospel. I told you the truth. I didn't keep back. I didn't give you just what you wanted to hear, maybe what you would like. He said, I shared with you the entire truth about God's Word. Now, if you don't know much about the Old Testament, then maybe you're kind of confused. Like, why is he saying he's innocent of the blood of all? But if you've read much or or walked through much of the Old Testament, you know that he's pulling from one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 33, this is, again, this is some kind of like... um, some of the more important texts you would say in the Old Testament. I mean, it's, it's, it's more prominent, more well-known. Paul's pulling from that. Look what it says, though, Ezekiel 33. He says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman. So they said, listen, you're going to sit on the wall. You're going to watch and see if other armies, other people are coming against us. That's who this person is. And he says, and if you see the sword coming upon the land and you blow the trumpet and warn the people, then if anyone hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, the sword comes, it takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He says, listen, as as a watchman, you have a responsibility. If you see the other armies coming, you have a responsibility to blow the trumpet. If you blow the trumpet and they're still killed, that's their own that's their own head. Right? It's their own responsibility. They should have been responsive. But look what he says here then. Further into verse 5. But if he had taken warning, he said he would have saved his life. But if the watchman, verse 6 of Ezekiel 33, but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, so the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity. He says, listen, they're still guilty, right? We're still guilty. But his blood... Right, but his blood, I will account or require at whose hand? The watchman's hand. So Ezekiel was telling the people in that day, and now Paul's using the same imagery, and he's saying, "Listen, if you aren't being faithful to share the truth about Christ and the fact that there is a holy God, a perfect God through whom we will all be judged and given account, and if you aren't sharing that with people and telling them you have a right, a responsibility to prepare yourself for that, you have a responsibility to come and cling to Christ, to find freedom and grace and pardon for your sin. He says, I want you to know that you've got to have blood on your hands. You got some blood on your hands today? If that coworker dies before you return back to work on Monday, will there be blood on your hands? Will there be blood on your hands for people in your family that you've not shared the truth with? What about some of your buddies? Friends? Ezekiel and now Paul both are telling us, listen guys, I want you to know you have a responsibility to share the truth of the gospel with them. You have that responsibility to tell them the truth about Christ and about how God is holy and God in His love desires that none should perish but all should come to repentance. We have that responsibility. He says, but if we aren't faithful to do that, 
then we are guilty. And that's why Paul says, listen, guys, he says, I want you to know that I'm innocent of the blood of all. Right? I'm innocent of the blood of all. I sh- I've told you, I've told you about the counsel of God. I've declared to you what Christ has done. He says, I want you guys to be ready for that. I want you to be prepared for that. Look what Paul says, though. I think it's interesting. He says, for I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole gospel. I think Paul is saying, listen, I struggled at times to tell you guys the truth. Why? Because any of us that have ever had any interaction with either ourselves in the Scripture or other people in the Scriptures, you have moments when the Scripture points to things in your life and says, your life does not meet up to this. Your life is contradictory to what God's Word said or Christ's example. Or you've got people you love and care about that their lives are contradictory to this Word. And the temptation is, is to shrink back. I'll be honest, that's my temptation almost every time. I want to shrink back. I want to still be friends with them. I don't want to create awkwardness in my family. I don't want to become off like this religious zealot that's weird that everybody's like, that guy's so bizarre. I mean, like... And so the temptation is that we shrink back. We pull back from our responsibility. And Paul says, if you do that, you will be guilty before God. And in light of that, Paul says, I didn't shrink. There's something about God's grace and His strength that is so powerful. Paul's saying, listen guys, I want you to know, he tells us in other places, it's God at work in me. Right, 1 Corinthians 15, some of you kiddos are trying to memorize some of that for tonight, for Awana. Paul finishes that verse and he says, he says, listen, I worked harder than all the rest of the apostles. He says, but it wasn't me, it was God at work in me. It was the grace of God, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. He says, something about God's strength is so great in me that He keeps giving me the strength, the, the courage to be faithful. Now we speak the truth in what? Love. In love. We care about them. It's not just simply we have to do it because it's an obligation. No, we love them. We know that God desperately loves them. That old rugged cross, that's our Savior. And so we feel this, this desire. Well, Paul continues and he says to them, Guys, I want you to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the pulpit committee has made you overseers. In which Andrew and Holly, the children's committee, has made you overseers. In which another pastor has made you overseers. Not what it says. Despite your translation, he is very clear. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He says, listen, if you want to know why you're in that position of responsibility, that position of leadership, he says, it's a work of God. This was God's plan. It was God. You sensed that deep calling the Spirit is at work. Now you say, well, well Blake, then, then why do we have pulpit committees? Why do we have children's committees? Why do we have those? Well, because we're following the example of Acts 15. If you walk with us, and we, it's been a while now, but in Acts 15, there's some questions in the church. And guess what they do? They choose different people from, from different areas of the church and say, listen, would you go there and represent us? And so different leadership is raised up, and they go, and they, they, they meet, they talk, they pray. And they make decisions, and guess what they do? They bring it back to the church and say, hey guys, here's the decision. The church says, amen, we're behind that, right? And so they, they, they make these decisions there in Acts 15. And it's similar. Acts 13, look what happens here. It's interesting. Watch what happens. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, look what happens. The Holy Spirit speaks. And he says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for this work to which I have called them. And it says, then after fasting and praying. 
So you have decisions to make. What would I compel you to do? Worship the Lord, fast and pray. Pray, seek the Lord, ask God to speak. He says, listen, that's what the Spirit's doing. The Holy Spirit, look, He's at work. He's calling people to be overseers, but He uses the body of Christ. He raises them up. He's using leadership. He's using the body of Christ today as we'll vote this morning to affirm and recognize, yes, this is the work of God's Spirit. He's raised up two people amongst our midst and called them to lead our children. We see what God's doing. The church is there affirming the work of God. But the church doesn't get before God. You see that. That's why we have to be patient. We wait. We watch. It's also interesting. Look what he says there. He notices he calls them overseers, plural. It's a reminder that even there early on in the church, there was a plurality of leadership. It wasn't a one-man show. And oftentimes that's what it's become, and it's dangerous that one person can yield that much influence. Many of you know maybe pastors that have fallen. It it's creates a great wake, or maybe nobody else can follow them because they've done everything. But early on in the church, there are overseers, plural. There is a plurality of leadership. Why? Because no one can carry that weight and no one should. There's accountability amongst a plurality of leaders. And so early in the church, he says, listen, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit has raised up a group of leaders, pastors, teachers to lead in the church. You say, well, what's the big deal anyway about leadership? Like, why do we need them? What, what, are, what, are, what should we be looking for the leadership to do? Paul tells them what he says there. He says, listen, guys, these overseers are to care for the church. They're to care for the church. In Ephesians 4, he says that Paul or God has given some to be pastors, preachers, teachers, evangelists, um, prophets, shepherds. It's not the right order, but in Ephesians 4, 11 through 14, he says to equip the body of Christ to do the work of ministry. He says, listen, God's given the leadership to raise up the body to do what God has called and gifted them to do. He says, until we all reach unity in the faith, the maturity, becoming the complete fullness of Christ. And he says, listen, God has raised up the body of Christ. So the leadership is to care for the church. And by caring for the church, they are to say, listen, I see spiritual gifts in you. You need to be using those. The leadership is to be caring for the church by looking for people that are hurting, saying, listen, I see that person. They've left. Maybe they left the flock or maybe they're among us, but man, they seem distant. The leadership needs to be going to them, saying, hey, I'm concerned about you. The leadership needs to care for those that aren't a part of the flock. Why? Because the leadership set an example for the rest of the body of Christ to say, listen, there's no one or two or three or five people that can do that for a growing body of Christ. You too need to be raised up. So when you look around, the pews around you, who's not here this morning that used to be? Many of you are creatures of habit. You sit pretty much in the same place week after week. Who's not here? Maybe in your Sunday school class that once was. Or who's somebody that is here but you're just concerned about? Would you reach out to them? Would you just touch base and say, hey, how are you doing? I'm concerned about you. That's what the leadership is doing. And let's be honest. There's all times as in leadership. And listen again, we've talked about it. We're all in areas of leadership. There's times when we all become weary with other people, don't we? Like, we become jaded, we become disgruntled, we become frustrated. We're like, dude, I'm not sure I can, I can deal with this much longer. I'm not sure I can keep waiting on this. Look what Paul says. Hey, guys, you're caring for the church, which he obtained with what? His own blood. He says, be careful. 
just caring for the church, it may at times get overwhelming. Your serving may get seem dutiful or like, I'm so ready to be done with this. He says, listen, guys, we are going to struggle. But remember who you're caring for. It's those that Christ purchased with His own blood. That's how valuable they are. That's why we don't give up. That's why they matter. That's why you and all of us together collectively are significant. We all value and have importance. How much so? Eternal importance. Why? Because Christ shed His blood for you. That's why you're not insignificant in this church. You've not grown too old. You're not too young. You're not too, I don't know, whatever you feel like this morning. You matter. You're vastly important. In fact, I would say you have eternal, untold significance. Because none of us can fully grasp the glory of God and the greatness of Christ's sacrifice. And I think only throughout all eternity will we begin to grow more and more to realize how great His sacrifice was. And in light of that, we begin to realize how much He must love us. And that's what He's saying. As you care and watch over others, remember Christ shed His blood for them. It's almost as if now we're kind of maybe watching a movie scene. And Paul has been sharing about this and he's telling us again, remember he said to them, hey guys, you need to pay careful attention to yourselves, to all the flock. And you're wondering like, well, I mean, why Paul? Like, what's, what's the big deal? Why are we watching so much? And then you see it. As if it's almost lurking in the distance. Verse 29 hits us. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in. He said, I know that there's a revelation from God's Spirit. There's clarity here that Paul has. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in. I think the King James uses the word grievous. Um, the New American Standard, NIV, others, they say savage wolves. They come in. You say, well, what kind of wolves are they like? What, what should we be looking for if we're as a church watching? What's interesting is, is Paul writes to Timothy, and Timothy becomes the pastor of the church at Ephesus. So when you read First and Second Timothy, you're reading about a pastor of a church in Ephesus. Right where Paul is, he's speaking to that leadership now there in Miltus, but he's called them to him. And what we often see in the letters is that there's people that have come into church and they're beginning to distort God's truth. That's the danger of wolves. Again, it's not so often that they're flamboyant and you, you, you recognize it immediately. It's the deceptiveness of them. They began to forbid people to marry within the church. He says they were um, ordering some people to abstain from certain foods. He says, but what God received us, He gave us all foods to be received with thanksgiving. First Timothy 4 is where I'm pulling from this for. And furthermore, we have like in Second Timothy um, uh, chapter 2, where Paul is, is talking there, and some people are saying the resurrection's already taken place, and you guys have missed it, and, and there's all this distorted truth. And so when we begin to see that our fierce wolves are going to come in, it's often they're taking God's Word and they're distorting it. They're bending it. They're using it for their own gain. Look what he says, though, about them. He says, you want to know about these fierce wolves that are going to come in? He says, they're not going to spare the flock. Remember that because we're going to, at the day when we end, we're going to go to a specific text. And I want you to remember that about the fierce wolves not sparing the flock. You're going to see something that I hopefully will help you illuminate this maybe a little more. Okay. So great. We need to be on the watch for people that are coming in the church. Gotcha, Paul. And then this moment happens. And honestly, it's kind of like one of those climactic moments. Like we're not aware of it. Again, if you're kind of watching that movie scene, all of a sudden something you see, like a little side conversation happening. You see people whispering in the dark. You see these little 
things happening. You're like, what, what's, what's going on? Like, what, what am I seeing? And all of a sudden, the scene unfolds and it, it says these words. Verse 30. And from among what? From among your own selves. From among the church. Indeed, what we might hear from Paul, if we looked at this and press it, in fact, we're going to see if you walk um, first and second Timothy, you look a little bit Titus, other places. Um, he's telling them there's going to come twisted leadership. There are going to come people not just simply amongst the church body. They're going to come people that are preachers and teachers in the word and in the church. He says, look, and from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things. The twisting indicates that there is a straight way that God wants you and I to follow. In fact, that was John the Baptist's call, right? The fulfillment of Isaiah prophecy. He was called to make straight the ways of the Lord. Remember that John the Baptist? Right? He was called to do that. He was one of a voice in the wilderness crying, make ye straight the way of the Lord. He was preparing people to look to Christ, to follow Him, to, to turn and look to the healing, the redemption, the light that God was bringing in Christ. It says these men will speak twisted things. Instead of keeping you on the straight and narrow, they want to drag you to one side or the other. They want you to get caught over here in the thorns and the thistles to choke your life out. Figuratively, that might mean misinterpreting these Scriptures, but it also might mean morally just saying, you know what, that, that's not real important, or God doesn't really care, or similar to what Satan said in the garden, right? Did God really say? Oftentimes, if you're not careful, those two kind of work together. There's people that are twisting the Scriptures and at the same time, why? So maybe they can live a certain way and find the lifestyle that pleases them. He says, I want you to know, guys, it's not only that people are going to come from outside the church. I want you to be prepared that even within, from among your own selves, will rise men speaking twisted things. It was in Acts 13 when Paul was there with one of the sorcerers. His name was Illumis. And in Acts 13, verse 8, he tells them that he says, you, you Illumis, he says, will you not ever um, quit trying to turn people away from the faith? And then he calls him in verse 10. He says, you are a child of the devil. Always perverting the way of the Lord. I think the King James uses um, the English standard says there, will you not stop trying to make crooked right, the ways of the Lord? It's the same thing here. He's saying, listen, that's what's going to happen. There are going to rise people among us that are going to try to twist the things of God. They're going to try to lead you astray. They're trying to get you to come. And so Paul's there, right? He's saying, listen, guys, I want you to know that it's going to happen. And here's the terrifying thing. Look what he says. Remember this back in verse 29? I know that after my departure, after my departure, that's when the wolves will come. That's when amongst your own selves, there's going to rise those men speaking twisted things. I mean, isn't it the terror of any of you, maybe as parents, as grandparents, as people you're responsible for? It's the terror, right? That that attack's going to happen when they're at school and not with you. That maybe you have you ever been there like you left the hospital or you left the nursing home and then all of a sudden the phone rings and they've had something's happened and you gotta turn around and go, I was just there. How did that happen? Right? I mean, we've had those moments in life. Those are the moments in which like, why couldn't I just have been there? Maybe like when somebody died or like why did my child maybe why are they states away and they're dealing with this? If I could just be there with my, my little cub or my buddy or whoever it is that you love and care about. Some of you may be dealing with that now because you've got aging parents that don't live here. And you're fighting that, like, what do I do? How do I care for my mom or my dad or whoever? And they're so far away from me. That's what Paul says. He says, it's after my departure. 
It's kind of like this doomsday packing list, right? I don't know if you're a doomsdayer, but maybe you've got your own secret bunker and you've got your gas mask and you've got everything stacked up and stashed away. Paul says, listen guys, it's going to happen after my departure. And so that leads us to the question we're at the beginning. Well, Paul, what do we do if wolves are coming? If people are coming from outside and also within the church to lead us away from God and His Word, what should we do? This is what Paul says. Verse 31. Therefore, be alert. Be alert. Paul says, listen guys, you need to be aware. He's kind of reminding us that, listen, you can't wait till your kids get to college to prepare them for the things they're going to face in college. He says, listen, when it comes to business deals, you can't like wait to the moment that business deal gets here to decide like what you're going to do, right? That, that maybe that dishonest deal. He says, listen, guys, you, you can't wait for that moment in which like that person that you work with or a friend or acquaintance, it's, it's just attractive and you find it easy to talk to. He says, listen, if you're waiting and that person's not your spouse, if you're waiting like for that moment in which you're at the restaurant or you're in the hotel room, it's too late. He says, listen, guys, I want you to know. Therefore, be alert. Look what he says. Remembering that for three years... You say, what should we do? Remember three years. Paul says, listen, guys, you can't wait until that time comes to make those decisions. Now, God in His grace, can He still deliver us? Absolutely. If you're in that moment, should you pray like Joseph? God, get me out of here. Let me run. Absolutely. But listen, the clarity from the Scriptures and what Paul is teaching them is, listen, guys, the wolves are coming and I won't be there. So remember the last three years. I've been preparing you for what is coming that's why when we do things like children's ministry, student ministry, when you're doing discipleship in your home, you're preparing your children and other loved ones for the moments that are going to come five years from now, ten years from now, twenty years from now. You're undergirding and strengthening them in the Scriptures and the power of Christ. He says, guys, listen. If you're waiting for the wolves to come and then respond, it's likely going to be too late. Therefore, be alert, he says, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So this kind of raises another important question that maybe we're going to close with. Why would God even allow wolves into his church? Right? I mean, like, and it's kind of a question that maybe kind of bleeds into other areas. Like, if God's so great, then why did he allow this? If he's all powerful, then why is he allowing me and my family to walk through this season? Right? I mean, it kind of is like a bigger question that maybe we're seeing throughout Scripture and dealing with in all of life. Like, if God's so big and He's so great, then why am I dealing with this? Why is He letting this happen? Why, if God, if He loves the church, then why would He even let these wolves in? He knows their heart. Like, He knows what's going to happen. Like, why does He even let them come into leadership? I mean, how's, he, I mean, how's that even happen? To answer that question, I think we need to walk to John chapter 10, and Jesus is there. In John 10, Jesus says some words that are very familiar to many of us. The thief comes only to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you may have what? Life and have it what? Abundantly or evermore. What depending on what translation you, you've known, you've grown up with. But he says, listen guys, it's similar. Look, the thief, and we often identify as who? Satan, right? And obviously his demonic minions, uh, those that are following him, these, these fallen angels. He says, the thief is coming, guys. He's going to steal, he's going to kill, and he's going to destroy. 
That's the work. Of, uh, and you fill in your family, you fill in your child, you fill in your marriage, you fill in that relationship, whatever it is, He's coming to steal, kill, and destroy it. That's what He says, though. It's interesting. We still have to answer that question. Well, so why is the thief even here? Why is this even happening? Why was God even permitting this? Again, in the church, but as Jesus is teaching here, what would you just for a moment, maybe we get some clarity. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf. So now the transition. Wolf, thief, they're connected. Right? Back to our passage today. The wolves are coming. All this, hopefully, is trying to come together. He sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. So again, I want, to, I want to answer this question in two ways. Why the wolves? Why they're coming in? One thing is this. When the wolves come in, they prove the true shepherds from the pretenders. It's a purifying work for the leadership of the church. Watch this. Look what he says, verse 13. He flees, right? This, this person is watching the rest of the sheep. They're caring, right? He's using the imagery that they would know, but now Paul's applied it to the church. He flees because he is a hired hand in what? Cares nothing for the sheep! He flees. He runs. He doesn't care about the church. It's not his true heart. Remember, that's what Paul said. Look what he said about those disciples or those overseers. He says, they're going to come speaking twisted things to draw disciples after themselves. They care about the worship of them. They care about them more than they care about you. And so when the hard moments come, when the twisted things happen, when the danger happens, they're gone. So you want to ask, why the wolves? Why the hard moments? Well, specifically days we deal with the church. One thing we begin to realize is when those moments come, we know the true shepherds, preachers, teachers from the false ones. Do they stay and care about the people or do they run? And... Secondly is this. Why the wolves in your life? Why these hard moments? This is a, second, it's a beautiful thing. The wolves in the church and in your life, those hard, difficult moments that come, they prove if you're truly God's or not. Look at this. Look what Jesus says. Verse 16 of John 10. And I have other sheep that are not of the soul. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. He reminds us again, as, Paul, as Peter says, Hey, shepherds, hey, pastors, remember there is a chief shepherd coming. Be careful, big boy. You think you run the church? Be careful, preacher. You think you're in charge? I'm preaching to myself here. He says, there's a chief shepherd coming. There is one shepherd over the church. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Be warned. Preachers, teachers, myself, others. We have a holy calling. Let us do it with fear and trepidation, realizing that we shall answer. But look what happens here. He says, listen, remember that. These these sheep that are mine, they will listen to my voice. And look what he says, verse 27 of John 10. My sheep... They hear my voice and I know them and they what? They follow me. Now, I don't know any of us here today that probably haven't dealt with moments in which we've messed up and blown it or moments right now when you are terrified of how you're going to deal with the situation you're in. Like, Blake, I am facing some serious wolves, dude. I mean, like they've got me down by one ankle and somebody's got me in a... I don't think there's any way I'm going to make it through this situation in life. I want to close the day by leaving you with some of the greatest hope that I could ever leave anyone with. Today, if you're here and you're a child of God, you're His sheep, 
no matter how bad things are, I want to leave you with this. Remember, verse 12 of John 10, Jesus said that the, this wolf, this thief that comes in, he comes in to snatch people, right? Remember that imagery, snatching, right? In the same way we look back here in Acts 20. Watch this. This is very important. Put this together as you leave today. Here it is. He says, I will give them, speaking of his sheep, I will give my sheep eternal life and they will never perish. And look what he says, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus says, I want you to know that there are wolves that are coming, there are thieves that are coming to snatch people, but if you're my sheep, I want you to know nobody's going to snatch you. That ought to give you some strength today. That's like some lion of Judah roaring. Like, that's my cub. Don't mess with her. Don't mess with him. Some of you are looking back on your life. Maybe you've been in Christ many, many years and you have faced many hardships and you have seen many twisted things. That ought to serve as some major confirmation to you that God as the chief shepherd is protecting you. But look what he says. Not only Christ is protecting you, my father, look what he says there, my father, my daddy, who has given to me is greater than all. And look what he says here again, the same, the same imagery. No one is able to snatch them Look what he says there, out of the Father's hand. The wolves are coming, church. What would I compel you to do? Two major things. Commit yourself to this Word and be certain that you are one of His sheep. If you've been pretending or you've been playing, you be warned today. There is going to come wolves and they will attempt to snatch you and to twist you and lead you astray. But today, for those that are in Christ, we need comfort to know that there is one who is greater than our inhibitions, our weak moments, our failures, our frailties. To know there is a God who is watching over us, who is protecting us, who says, You are my sheep, I have you in my hand, and no one can snatch them. No one can take my sheep. You have a faithful Father to protect. He is the guardian of your soul. That's how great God is today. Be encouraged. Be comforted for any wolf that you're facing. Because if you're in Christ, He may huff and He may puff, but He ain't going to blow your house down. Amen? That's the good news of Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, in the strong name of Christ, we thank You that You are greater than the wolves. Lord, I pray that Your people today are strengthened. I pray that they are looking to Your Word, realizing, God, that... Ah, Father, we, can, we cannot wait until those moments. Lord, we are to be preparing ourselves today for the wolves that are coming. So let us be faithful to disciple uh, those in our family, those around us, making sure that we are ourselves prepared. But God, at the end of the day, let's be honest. None of us will ever be prepared enough. We've all messed up. God, we all, James says, we're enticed by our own evil nature. God, we, we've, we've all gone after the bait. God, I just want to thank you right now and just say, Praise your name that you are a good shepherd and you don't treat us as we deserve. But instead, in your love and grace, not only did you save us, but God, you are keeping us in your hand, protecting us from being deceived by false teachers, by false preachers, by those who, who seem outwardly to care for us, but inwardly that they, they don't. They're going to run. God, I just want to thank you right now that ultimately this flock, God, I want to be as obedient as I can to you. I want to be as faithful, God. I want, to, I want to finish well, God. I want to be faithful to love on all these people. I want to care for them. Oh, God, so many of them are in such heartache. But, Lord, I just want to thank you today that as the pastor, God, as one of the, the leadership in this church, that, God, it doesn't all depend on me. Thank you, God, that I, their souls are in your hand, God. I'm not trying to hold them. 
I can't. I can't hold. I can't safeguard their souls. I'm not, I'm not strong enough to do that. But God, Lord, they're in Yours. For those that are Your sheep today, I just pray that they would just say, Oh, man, I can breathe. My God's a good shepherd. Lord, I pray right now. They all, they know what their wolves' moments are. Whether it's in the past or right now, there's a wolf that is huffing and puffing and trying to blow them down and lead them astray. God, I just pray that right now they would just commit themselves back to You. Maybe they would just come crawling, God, to You and say, God, here I am. I'm a sheep and I'm weak and I'm afraid. And God, show, show Your true shepherd self. God, protect this church from... From me, Brother Todd, others, from leading the church astray. God, we are men. We are capable of. We're capable of that, Lord. I know. I know how weak I am. God, I just pray right now for grace to not be a false teacher, to not twist the scriptures. God, I like people when they they, they tell me good things, Lord. I know we all want to be encouraged, but sometimes this is about my pride. I'm being honest. God, I don't. I don't want people to come follow me. I know where I'll lead them. God, it won't be to you. Protect this church, God, from my weaknesses, my frailties. God, thank you. You're the chief shepherd of the church. Just receive glory today. I love you, God. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Is Jesus the shepherd of your soul? Either he is or he isn't. And the wolves in your life may have already revealed some of that. But I want you to know that no matter if you... Man, you are a long way off today or you're close to Him you've ever been or you don't know Him. I want you to know He's a good shepherd. In fact, in that very passage, John 10, He says the good shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. Not like sheep that have done it all right. Not like when you get your life good enough or cleaned up enough. He says He's a good shepherd who lays it down for you in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of doing things that you wish you had never done. You wish you could just erase them. He says, I know that and I still love you. My grace covers that. I don't know of any other shepherd like that. Sheep, who's your shepherd today? Careful. The enemy will come and drag your mind away and try to distort it and beat you down. But God is here saying, I laid my life down for you. In the midst of your sin, I love you. Come to me, sheep. Would you come to Christ? Stand with us and sing. I'd love to talk and pray with you, Brother Todd, others. Man, we would love for you to respond today to the gospel. He is the good shepherd. Come to Him. Weary sheep, come home today. Come to Christ. Call out to Him right now. Come find your mercy. Sinner, come to me. Earth has no sorrow. Heaven gain me. Earth has no sorrow.
Earth has no sorrow that heaven can. 